we'll leave your Bibles open there to Proverbs 31. We're going to get back into that in just a moment as we uh, continue our series called Gender Revealed. Um, man, where we just decided to jump right in the midst of it, right? So there's a lot of confusion, a lot of debate, and just talk about gender and sexuality in our world, right? Anybody else heard that? You know, legislation and debate and all sorts of stuff, and so we just decided to jump right in the midst of that, Um, because I believe, man, there's really some questions that are being asked about gender and whether it exists at all, right? And if it does, can I choose it or change it or move in and out of it? And and if so, who gets to define that? And all sorts of questions that I don't don't really think that um, we've seen, at least to this extent, in in history. Um, And so we wanted to, uh, man, just let God's word uh, bear its weight on this. There's so many questions and so many nuances and things to be addressed in all of this, but um, in our heart, you know, has really been to see what God says and let his word, because um, I believe that so much of the confusion is rooted in a terrible understanding of what God was doing when he designed us, right? Because we have a ter- terrible understanding of what what the creator of our world was doing when he made them male and female, man and woman, and created them, and and together to bear his image to the world, God had something very particular and very good in mind that was not only glorifying to him just because we obey his rules, right, but also life-giving and and flourishing in the path to joy for us as his people. And so that's a really important distinction that we have to keep in mind anytime we're having conversations about this because so many people feel like the biblical worldview, right, and Christians' worldview of, you know, one man, one woman for a lifetime, and, you know, yes, you're born a man and born a woman, and, you, you know, you don't get to just kind of make that decision. That feels oppressive and offensive to many people, right? They feel like that's oppressive and offensive to people who are struggling with, um, you know, desires and, and sexuality that are kind of outside of those lines, and, and they feel like, you know, God doesn't have empathy toward them and, and all of those. So there's a lot... And so it's important to keep that posture in mind that we come from grace and truth and that that we um, are all fallen, right? That we're all broken and busted people, that we are all struggling against our own uh, sin in our bodies and and that the answer is in Jesus, right? It's not in some self-actualization and realizing what we feel inside of us to become true on the outside or anything like that. And whether that's about gender or just, you know, Whatever you struggle with in your own life, like the answer to our, our inward wrestle, our tension between what we feel should be and what actually is in our life, the answer to that is always Jesus. And it's not in some, you know, if we could just get this right and feel this way and have this look and these body, whatever. It, it's not about that and it's about Jesus. So we have to have that posture in mind whenever we have this conversation. And so rather than trying to address all of the different nuances and, conver- you know, uh, distinctives in this conversation about gender, uh, we've decided to really just look at what God did have in mind. What was his good design? And, and let that kind of inform the rest of that as we go out. So if you want to catch up on um, where we've been so far in this series, all those sermons are online except one. I know some folks were uh, quite bummed. We had technical difficulties. We didn't catch Micah preaching about biblical manhood. But the rest of them are online. And if you want to know where we're headed the rest of the series, you can go to This Weekend on your app, and there'll be a sermon series schedule on there as well. I would encourage you to go to This Weekend if you'd like. You can go right to the, the scripture we're preaching and... Um, and there's some resources if you want to do further reading on there as well. So um, as we move into today's talk, this is uh, 
this is biblical womanhood kind of part two, right? So we talked about back on Mother's Day what uh, God designed women to be and, and how there's uh, peculiar and particular ways in which God designed women to bear his image to the world, right? Not exclusively, we looked at six things, and it's not exclusively those six things because there's a lot of things that overlap between men and women, right? That we're both image bearers of God in, in a lot of ways, but there's some things that are distinctively uh, put on us as men, and there's some things that are distinctively put on us as women that, that together uh, reflect who God is to the world. And so we're going to talk about today kind of the ways that brokenness and sin fractures God's good design of his crown of creation, right, woman, um, and how the gospel brings redemption into that. So it's kind of funny to me as I think about myself preaching on biblical womanhood. Uh, as you may have noticed, I'm not a woman. Um, and so there's that. But then also as I kind of reflect back over my life, it's a little bit humorous what God has been doing in me. So uh, at the age of 19, I came on staff at a church uh, as their youth pastor. And that was the first time, and we don't need to debate whether that was a good or bad idea. I'll just tell you it was a bad idea, but that's what happened regardless. But it was in that role that I was first exposed to junior high girls. Now, I mean, obviously, other than when I was a junior high boy, and that was a whole other level of confusion there. But uh, I'm now, you know... In this role of helping these parents, you know, disciple their kids and walk with them through um, life, and I was not prepared for that. Like, I didn't know what I was getting into there. There was a lot of, like, emotions, right? There was a lot of uh, what I thought to be really irrational statements, and everything seemed to be either, like, really, really awesome or the dumbest thing ever, and there really wasn't a lot in between for these young women, and I just... It was, it was difficult for me to navigate, and, but, I, but I hung in there, and I got to know a couple of the families of, of those young girls quite well, and one of those moms of one of those young women that we had a lot of meetings with and walked through, she would just grin. I would just catch her grinning at me sometimes. I'm like, what are you smiling about? And she was like, I just think it's funny. God is preparing you to just have a whole bunch of daughters. And I was like, no, <laughs> he's not. I'm going to have boys. Like, you can control that, right? And I was like, uh, no, thank you. And my wife actually felt the same way when we, after serving in student ministry, we were like, man, we'll have as many boys as we can afford. Like, we'll just keep cranking those out as long as we got the money to support them. But the minute we have the second girl, we're done, right? Because we just seen kind of some of the drama and the, and the hormones. We we're like, I just don't know if I can, I don't know. So we have a second girl, we're done. That was, our, that was what we said. Obviously, God thought that was really funny. If you know me, we cranked out three girls in six years and... Here we are. So I am way outnumbered in my household. Um, a lot of times people react to that. And they're like, oh, man, you have three daughters and, yeah, and a wife and the dog's a girl. And one guy, one guy just straight up looked at me and he said, man, that's a lot of freaking toilet paper. And I was like, <laughs> I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, it is. When, when, when I, when, and then some people just ask, so what's that like? I got boys. What's it like having girls and that many girls? And the easiest way I can describe it to most people is just say, okay, so you know what it's like whenever your wife is getting ready to go somewhere? Leave the house, right? And they're like, yeah. yeah. Like, you know how she goes through like every outfit she's ever owned? And she, you know, that. And they're like, yeah. And, and then she spends some time on her hair and her makeup, right? And you're like, and you're, you know, yeah, that. And then, and then how the process starts all over when she realizes she doesn't like her shoes or she doesn't have those shoes or whatever, Right? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, okay, just multiply that by four. Every time we leave the house, I'm like, I don't understand what I, I'm trying to help. I don't know. And then we're redoing it. I just, it's just, that's, the, that's where I get, like, I love my daughters. I wouldn't trade them for the world. But that's where I get really uncomfortable. I no longer know how to navigate that. That doesn't seem like rational conversations that are happening, and I just don't know what to do. So I want to help my wife because she's out number two, but I just don't know how. So 
that's where I struggle. She left for a few days last week. I had to learn to straighten hair, and uh, I did all right. We survived. Um, so no, no public comments were made about how my children look. I think they were presentable. But I learned a lot. I've learned a lot. Um, and so as, as we talk about, and, and I kind of I bring that up to, to start us out, uh, and not to just, I don't by any means want to minimize womanhood to that, right, or stereotype or, or even play into that and talk about, you know, but, but I think that begins to give us a glimpse into the way that women in particular struggle um, to live out God's design because of the tension and the sin of our world, right? That, that begins to give us a glimpse into what women uh, struggle with and really what fuels so much of the other struggles that women are going to struggle with. Because one of the things I talked about, that, that God uh, made women to bear his image by being beautiful, right? That there's a beauty and a mystery to the, to the feminine um, soul, really. And it's not about a physical appearance. It's not about this, you know, standard of, of looking this way or that way or whatever, uh, which, which, by the way, has changed, right? So we, we are grown, like, we are just taught to think, okay, like, our culture says this is what, you know, a beautiful woman looks like, right? And, and, and so for most of us, most of our life, it's been, you know, a, a tall tan with the, just the right amount of curves or, or whatever, but it, it's not historically or biblically so, right? If you look back over history, it wasn't that long ago that um, a woman with some meat on her bones and pasty white skin was the standard of beauty, right? That, 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 that's what everybody wanted to be, was really white. And still, even in other parts of the world, they look at us like we're foolish because we tan. They're like, that's dumb. Why would you want your skin to be dark? Because they, the, the lighter, the better. And so that's culturally fluid and historically fluid and all those things. But what happens is the goodness of God's design in making a woman beautiful and mysterious. And, and like God made that on purpose, right? So that in the relationship of marriage, that, that the way that a woman's body is made would be arousing and attractive to her husband so that they would be drawn together and experience this intimacy and this connection that is beautiful and God-given. Right? God, that's all God's idea. Right? He, he made that so. He knows what a woman's curves does to a man's eyes. and like he, he, That was all him. Okay? He's not caught off guard by that. He's not surprised by that. He put that there. But what's happened is it's been distorted. Right? been distorted and now and, and in so many ways that becomes what a woman looks like becomes whether or not she has value and how much value she has and that begins to fuel so much and, and it, again a woman's identity is not at all reduced to her physical beauty or beauty in general there's so much more to how God has made a woman and yet I think our culture makes that the focal point and I think it's actually a lack of us celebrating and valuing and pointing out the other aspects of femininity that drives that back to the forefront and forces women to either decide and lean in that that, that is how I'll find my value. Right? And so we have young women that, that are attempting to feel validated and loved and desired by taking selfies with skin showing and uh, you know, putting themselves out there on the internet and, and you know, taking... Uh, pictures of their, their body and sending it because they're trying to find someone that will validate them and tell them that they are desirable. Why? Why? Because, again, just like last week, God made men with, with something uh, distinct and dangerous and powerful for a reason, right? And it's not that that's gone wrong. It's the rest of, it's the lack of true masculinity that's gone wrong. And so the same is true of women. Like God has made our 
like sexuality beautiful and mysterious and attractive for a reason, but it's been distorted. So I think that all young women are made with this desire to be lovely, this desire to be attractive, to be captivated, to know that someone looks at them and, and is drawn to them, right? And so they begin to be shaped by that, and they begin to find ways to get that in, in the culture. And it's even, man, so, so young, even in my, my household, my oldest is eight, and we're already having lots of conversations. My girls are picking up things that I didn't think they would be picking up as they watch TV or watch the world, and, and as they're watching videos of girls doing gymnastics or yoga, and then they're, they're wanting to wear just a sports bra and, and tight pants to go out around and do their thing, and, and then you know, conversations about bathing suits and modesty, and all that is regular at our house, and our oldest is only eight. I got two more behind her. Y'all pray for me. (laughs) So the distortion is clear. And again, I think that it's the lack of validating, it's celebrating the other things about femininity that drives that back to this focal point where women either lean in fully and say, okay, well, this is how I'm going to get value. So I've got to look like this, do this, offer this. Right or the pendulum will swing the other way, and they'll say, "Well, I'm, I'm not going to be I'm not going to be determined by how I look." And so they'll go the complete opposite direction and say, "Well, femininity in general needs to be gotten rid of." Right? That that's a bad thing. I won't be I won't be uh, you know determined by how I look and how I don't look. And so we, we get these two polar you know swinging where, where they're just leaning into that, embracing that because that's what we've created as a culture, or they're pushing away from it and becoming extreme feminists. And, and really, all that's lacking in there and what is rooted in that is a lack of an understanding of biblical femininity and what God has made women to be. And that missing, like women longing for like that, just like a man, a man, as I said last week, a man wants to know that he has what it takes. That's written on the, uh, the soul of every little boy, right? They want to know that they can protect, that they can fight. Like, that's why little boys love cowboys. And, you know, I don't know if they do that anymore, but they build a block and they knock it over. Like, they, they want to get in a fight, like, things like that. And a young girl, and again, these things blend in. My girls are rough and tough, but one of my favorite images of one of my little girls is her in this white dress that she wore in a wedding as a flower girl and her helmet riding her four-wheeler through the mud. Like, that's how she rolls. And so, and, and, and again, it's a lack of understanding about all this that drives us to some of this confusion. Right, because used to a girl liked the outdoors. She liked to be rough. She liked to play sports. That's just a tom. She's just a tom girl, right? Tomboy, right? But now it's like, well, maybe she's actually a. Maybe she actually identifies as a, as a male. Maybe we need to get her in that, you know. And we need to get her like. So that's seriously starting that young. We start having these different conversations, and it's what drives all this confusion. And and so it's not exclusively that thing. But as these, as a as a woman is longing for that validation, it, it drives this twisted narrative of sin. And what it leads to is a whole bunch of comparison in which everybody loses, right? Everybody loses because a woman doesn't know how to, you know, the, our culture is so confused about what, and so all of this happens. And, and listen, if comparison hasn't always been a thing, and I think it probably has, it certainly is now in the day of social media, right? I mean, you think about, and I think this fuels so much of the struggles that are, there are women uh, go through is this comparison, the search for perfectionism, and, and social media just fuels all that, right? Because you've got people taking uh, pictures, like snapping, like they're, they're writing their own narrative and putting their best out in front of everybody, right? All the time. Like nobody's taking a picture when they just roll out of bed in the, in the morning looking all busted, right? 
Like nobody's like, oh, you know, snapping that selfie and putting that online. Like it's, it's, the, it's the best angle, the best light, highlighting the best feature, right, that the world says. Uh, and, it's, and, it, and then it goes beyond that. It's not just about, uh, you know, it's not just about physical looks. Like, like I said, this kind of centers on that and it fuels out into all kinds of things. Women begin to, to struggle, really, with everything we talked about last week, that, that God made women to be um, helper, right, submitter, uh, that life giver and nurturer, and beautiful and mysterious, like all those things that got, like, we begin to see that comparison happens in all of those things in our world today. So, yes, there's obviously this physical thing that is driving so much of the conversation, but then also when we begin to compare about um, every other thing, right? Their, their houses, the, the meals they cook, people are putting, snapping pictures of this pretty little meal that they cook. They don't tell you they had fish sticks the night before and everybody was crying at the dinner table, right? But, but that night they had this really pretty presentation, right? And, uh, and, and then so you begin to think, oh, well, that's how that person is. And, oh, well, she's always cooking meals for this. And, and her, you know, and if I had, you know, her life, her house, her car, if I had her husband, I wouldn't mind submitting to him. He serves her this way. And, and on and on and goes. All of this comparison happens. And then it, so it happens with, within the realm of our marriage, right? Then it happens with, you know, God has made women to be life givers and nurturers. And that's not just about having children. We talked about that last week. Women speak life and bring life into all kinds of areas of our world that don't have to do with actually bearing children. But then what you do have is all these things that Come around that, and we start comparing around uh, mommy wars, right? I don't know why that's a thing, but it's a thing, and people are talking about, well, do you breastfeed or do you not? Oh, how dare you give a, you know, how dare you use formula? And, and then do you, you know, oh, you feed your kid that? I only do organic. They can't have that. That has dyes in it. And there's all these conversations, and, um, you know, my kid's taking an ACT prep test, and they're only seven, and, we, you know, and I don't know what, my kid's reading a book. Like, that's cool. I don't know. My kid read Brown Bear, Brown Bear the other day. I don't, like... Is that good? Like, where's that put them? I don't know, right? And then when we were in St. Louis, this was far worse in the city. We met this couple that was literally potty training their infant. And and if that's you, I don't, I'm not judging you. It just, we felt really, like, she comes out of the bathroom and she doesn't have a diaper on her baby. And she's talking about, you know, she doesn't wear a diaper because she's potty. And I'm like, it's a eight-week-old baby. Like, and we had a baby that was like 12 weeks old. And I was like, well, she can do this. You know, you just start feeling like really diminished because everybody's like comparing and it's just this world that just drives everybody into this despair and slavery and particularly around women. Like there's just, there's no opportunity for life there. That is a hamster wheel in which you never get the prize, right? There's always someone thinner, always someone prettier, always someone doing better. Like their house is more neat and put together. Their, 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 you know, husband is happy. Like you can just, we always compare up, don't we? Don't we always compare up? Like, that, that's why we're always losing that game. And I think this is particular, like, again, not that men don't struggle with this stuff, but, but by and large, this is pretty particular to women, right? Like, a dude could just look in the mirror, his guts ever getting bigger, his hairline's ever getting smaller and longer, right, further back. He can look in the mirror and be like, we're pretty good. <laughs> she, glad, she ought to be glad to have me. Rocking this dad bod, right? One of my kids asked me if I, had a ba- if I was pregnant the other day. I was like, that's time to get back in the gym. Um, right? And this dude's just like that. He's like, yeah, I'm looking pretty good, right? But a woman can have like one little flaw in her mind that she hates about herself, and it colors everything else she sees. And so she doesn't look in the mirror and think, oh, I look pretty good. She looks in the mirror and thinks, how could anybody ever want me? 
There's a distortion there. There's a, that's, that's the thief wanting to steal, kill, and destroy and suck the life out of, out of God. God doesn't want you feeling that. There's an actual thing called like body dysmorphia or something like where, where you actually see something different in the mirror than what, like your brain actually distorts the image you see in the mirror. That's why we have eating disorders and things like that where women would swear that they are fat whenever we're like, I could see your bones, right? You need to eat. But there's this, t- and I'm not making light of that. I'm saying that's what drives these, these distortions into this and it pushes people into really dark places and the struggle is very, very, very real and it's not to be made light of, but that's what kind of, where this comparison game leads us, right? So what I want to do for the rest of the time is I want to look at Proverbs 31. And I'm not going to preach through all of it. What I'm going to do is, is we're going to read through the, the, the first part of it and really just kind of make some notes about how it's kind of a review of last time we talked about womanhood because you're going to see her embody all of those things that we talked about that God, the way that God made woman to be, right? You're going to see her embody the, um, the helper that God designed him to be, the way that she images. And remember, if you weren't here, you image, woman, you, women, you image God by being a helper and a submitter because God himself is the only other one that Scripture uses to refer to as Ezra Konegdo, like helper, right? And God himself, Jesus, right? God, man, like part of the Trinity, he lives in submission to the Father. So you're imaging God, right? And so go on, life giver, right? That God has wired you in such a way that you want to bring life into the world. The nurturer, those are God's attributes, right? And then beautiful and mysterious and like all those things, you're imaging God. So you're going to see this woman in Proverbs 31 image all of those. You're going to see her lock those out. But what we're going to do is we're going to lean into the last part. And we're going to let that put pressure on and redeem the rest of this comparison mess that we, that you, that we struggle with. And we're going to let that look, and we're going to look back through the lens of the gospel onto the first part of Proverbs 31 and, and talk about how Jesus speaks into the struggle. So let's look at Proverbs 31 together and read just uh, parts of this. And I want you to hear, I want you to listen for the ways that God has made women, right, to be helper, submitter, life giver, nurturer, beautiful, mysterious. I want you to see her image this. And this is not, you know, this is, a, this is a proverb about what, you know, a woman should be. This is, this is kind of holding up this example. And this can even crush, the, the, like, even this. So what I want you to know is we're going to the end, right? And we're going to loop back around. Because this can be crushing to so many women. They've heard this before. Oh, yeah, I need to be Proverbs 31 women. You're ready to take your notes and, and work on what you need to work on, right? And you're going to, okay, this week I'm going to start doing this. I'm going to do this. And I'm going to call this girl. And we're going to do this study and blah, blah, blah. And you can just start putting all this. You can just go right into perfectionism right now. You can just go, right? Okay, this is what I need to do. I want you to hear the, the, the scripture, and I want you to hear the redemption that Jesus brings through the gospel. So we're going to read through this. I want you to see the image that is, and then we're going to get to the end and talk about how you actually live that out in this world that is so twisted and distorted by sin. All right? So it says, an ex- this is Proverbs 31.10, an excellent wife who can find. Listen, biblically, there, there's no other ancient religion that exalts that gives origin stories for women and exalts women the way that the Bible does, right? There's some twisted things that happen in the Bible. That is not saying that's how God's design was. That's saying how things went wrong when sin entered the world, right? But God himself made women to not be mistreated, not be objectified, not be misused and abused, but rather to be exalted and treated as a treasure, right? So an excellent wife who can find she is far more precious than jewels, this is what it leads to in her life. The heart of her husband, he trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. 
She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. Listen, we talked about last week in Genesis, or a couple weeks ago in Genesis 2, the, the creation of woman. God made her a helper fit for him. That doesn't mean, you know, that she's secondary and falls in line. This is, no, God's given man a specific purpose on the earth, and it's not good that he's alone, so he's going to make a, a helper that's suitable for him. That means that the man needs something in particular, and, he, and God's going to make it in woman, and that's not diminish the helper. In fact, if you think about the very nature of needing help, right, who does that exalt? The one who has to do the helping or the one who has to ask for help, Right? Clearly, the man needed help in this world. Like, so God said it's not good. So the woman's actually exalted and kind of put into this crown of creation. Um, but you see her living this out. The heart of her husband trusts in her. Um, she, she, he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. Listen, that, that God has designed marriage to be life-giving. He's designed the complementary nature of male and female, man and woman, living out their design as life-giving, as good. Right? And so when it says this, that she... Her husband trusts her. Right? That's speaking back to the curse that's found in Genesis 3. I can't get into all that, but, but you'll see that there's this tension that happens between man and woman. But when, when you live out God's design, her husband trusts in her. She's, she's living out that helper role. She's living out that submitted role and imaging God as she does so. She does him good all the days of her life. There's goodness in that. 13, she seeks wool and flax. She, she works with willing hands. Uh, she's like the ships of, of the merchant. She, can bring, uh, she brings her food from afar. She wa- rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it with the fruit of her hands. She plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. Listen, you need to get this image. This woman is not just in the kitchen barefoot and pregnant or whatever that old image is. Like This woman is an image bearer of God who is strong, who is competent, who is called not to you know, complete this man and just be his, you know, toy or whatever. No, no, she's called alongside this man as a helper suitable for him, just like him in the image of God and with some distinctives, right? That, but she's not what weaker, like she has a purpose. She's coming alongside the, and fulfilling the commission that God has gave mankind to fill the earth and subdue it. Like, She's an integral role in that. And this is not this woman that is just there to look pretty, have kids, raise them, whatever. And No, no, you see her working hard. Listen, I'll tell you this. My wife, um, you know, you got to be careful how you frame this. Does your wife work? I would never say, like, my goodness, that's a silly question. Uh, my wife does not have a full-time job outside of the home, but my wife works way harder than me. Right? I'll tell you that. Like, easily works way harder than me. I told you, she left town a couple weeks ago, and I was like, I don't, how do you not, how do you not, I love my kids, but how do you not kill them? Like, they, I don't know. They, they're always asking me questions. I can't think. I, I'm trying to do this, and while I did this, they just destroyed all that. So I went to clean that up, and then they destroyed all this, and I don't know what to do, and I'm just in the fetal position, right? Like, she works way harder than me. This woman is, is, is getting things done, right? She's rising early. She's providing food. Like, and so listen, there's a tension too in this world. Of, do you work? Do you stay at home? And all that. There's all this comparison. The Bible doesn't put that on you. There's freedom in that. Right? Some women call to stay at home for, for a season, raise their kids. Some women gonna be able, need to work the whole time. Some people want to work. The whole, like we don't need to put pressure and, and, and have this look of condemnation. Oh, well, maybe you'll get to stay at home someday. Or oh, maybe you'll get to go to work. No, no, no. Like, no, she's called within her family to wrestle that out, see what God has for them, and it's good, right? The the scripture doesn't put that on a woman. This woman is is 
is working hard, right? She's buying fields. She's planting vineyards. She dresses herself with strength, makes her arms strong. She's a crossfitter, evidently. She's getting in that daily wad, right? <laughs> she perceives that merchandise is profitable. Her lamp doesn't go out by night. She's staying up late. She's, she's making sure everything's put together, right? She puts her hands to the distaff. She holds out the spindle, or her hands hold the spindle. She opens the door to the poor. Listen, it's not all about her. She has a heart of compassion. She opens the door to the poor, reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow. Like, she's not lazy and just waiting for things to happen. She says, her household's clothed in scarlet. Like, she's made preparations. She knows when the winters come. Like, she has a plan. She's planning for her household. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land, right? Because she's like making an environment where like their family flourishes. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. Listen, that, that in itself, like in this game of comparisons, women, like, I've learned that there's just like this hierarchy and, and women, you know, judge other women. Oh, well, she's got it all together and, and this is her life. This is how she lives. So I kind of feel inferior to her and I'll stay away, you know, but I'll, I'll hang here. And maybe I'm the, the, the alpha over here, but over there it's her. And, and I don't know all this. Like I'm confused already. Like men have similar things, but it's much simpler. But, um, but for a woman to have it all together, to have a household that's flourishing, to have businesses and side hustles that are being profitable, right? And then to have her opening her home to the poor, to have her opening her mouth and out comes wisdom and knowledge. How does it say it? Verse 26. And teaching of kindness on her tongue. Man, that's why I brought Maria up here this morning. Like I want more of that kind of heart in our church, right? Where women aren't, you know, backbiting. Like this comparison thing is what fuels gossip. You realize that, right? Because we're trying to like make ourselves feel better, make our own... Like, so we'll speak negatively, we'll talk about this. Like, that's what fuels all that. This woman doesn't need that. And so she's able to speak. And when she speaks, there's, there's wisdom. There's knowledge of kindness. Man, we need that in general, right? We certainly need that amongst the culture of femininity in our, in our day, especially even in our church. Verse 27, she looks well to the ways of her household. She does not eat the bread of idleness. She's not just sitting around wondering what to do. and all, Like, nope, she's, she's, she's getting things done. Her, her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Men, don't you dare, like, look down on her, make her feel less, like, say that that's her job. No, 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 you need, if, listen, if you think what she does is easy, you do it for a season. Do it for a day, right? I'll change your tone real quick. You ought to be rising up, calling her blessed, right? Praising her, investing in her, loving on her, treating her. Absolutely. 29, many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Verse 30, charm is deceptive and beauty is vain. Listen, charm is deceptive. L- listen, part of the power, part of why, like, we, like okay, so men have a, a distortion uh, because we're, we have a physical presence that can be used, you know, to aggression. We have a, our tendency is either to check out and be passive or to overuse what God has made us to be aggressive and take advantage of other people. Women, because of the beauty, because, and then I think, because not only beauty, but also women have a particular power in their words, right? And they're able to really tear, like husbands, you know this. You know that, that your wife can speak a word that can just cut you to the core and set you off, Right? Charm 
It's deceptive. Like women can use that to their advantage, and they can use beauty to get status. But what it says is, man, if you're using charm to get your value, like that's not the real you, right? Somebody's not really knowing you. And if you're basing your value on beauty, it's fleeting. It won't last. I said a couple weeks ago, gravity wins. I wasn't talking about what everybody thought. I was talking about just your face and it's just in general, right? Your ears keep growing, your nose keeps growing, everything starts. Like, it's just, this is how it is, right? So, charm is deceptive, beauty is fleeting. If you, you base your identity on that, it's going to, it's not going to last. Like, you, you can't even argue that. Like, it's not going to last. But here's, here's where it turns. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. A woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And, and so many of you are like, okay, I know what to do now. I, 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 and, and okay, and I got to fear the Lord. And, and you hear that like it's one more thing to add on to the list of what God's called you to do as a woman. Like, okay, I got to do this. I got to provide for my family. I got to wake up early. I got to do all this. I, I need to be making some money and I need to be making their beds. And I, I don't have clothes of scarlet. My kids are going to freeze when winter comes. And I don't, like, I, I don't do this and my arms aren't strong. And, I, and you start just feeling all this pressure. And, you, and even God's word in this Proverbs 31 that's been built up is, you know, this, this ideal woman can, can actually be laid on as this weight that further Christ crushes the women of the church, and you don't know how to operate in and out of that. And, and, and that's not the heart of the passage here. That's not what God is doing in the midst of this. Because what he's saying is all of these things are only possible because this woman has a fear of the Lord. And listen, you're like, okay, okay, so i got to fear the Lord. No, no, you need to actually lean in and, and hear what this says. There's a proverb that says the beginning, uh, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom, right? What does that mean? Sounds nice. You're like, okay, yeah, I need to. No, listen. What fuels all the comparison and validation and stuff we talked about earlier? It's what we would call fear of man, right? What that means is the thing you hold most reverent, the thing you exalt and say, this is what matters, you end up becoming a slave to that, don't you? If what people think of you, how many likes you get, how many comments you get, uh, if, if that's what matters is how people see you, then you're a slave to that, aren't you? You can never let your guard down. You always have to keep this image up. And that's what creates this hamster wheel mentality where you can't experience life because you're always chasing something that ain't there. As one preacher put it, he said, that's a whole lot like trying to grab a fistful of oil. Your hand's going to get dirty, but you ain't being productive there, right? You're you're never going to get that. And that's what, when we fear man, like that's what it leads to. So what he's saying is the fear of the Lord. When a woman fears the Lord, what what he means by that is is, is you've got to look the Lord in, in, in his eyes. Right? And, and, and you need to know that when all is said and done, when all the judgments are made, when all the, the scores are settled, it doesn't matter who had the most likes, who had the best body, who had the, the, the most flourishing family, whose kids behaved the most. When all is said and done, when all the scores are settled and everything's on the table, what matters is God and his judgment. Period. That there will be a day, we sang about it earlier, where every knee will bow. And in that moment, there won't be this comparison thing. It won't matter how many followers she had or how pretty she was or how many whatever. It won't matter. What matters in that moment is God and God alone. Just done. Like, no other conver- like nobody has the guts to say anything else in that moment because it's just we're humbled. So what you see when you, when you fear the Lord is you have to realize who God is. That he's holy, he's righteous, he's, he's, he's never struggled with any of these things. He's completely self-sufficient, he's completely on his throne, and he's completely without sin, without blemish. And at first, you're gonna, you, you need to 
see that at first, and, and what's going to lead to the fear is you realize, man, I don't have a chance to stand in front of that God. And that's true of men and women, right? Like that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Like that's where the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of life starts is actually with some bad news, right? That, that we don't have it all together, that we are sinful, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and we all need a Savior, right? That's where the gospel good news starts is actually with some bad news. But when you realize that and you realize who this, this Lord is that, that is, is calling you, then it begins to change your posture about everything else. When the fear of man drives you, it, like your life, it becomes a prison, right? You're searching for validation. But when you fear the Lord, there is no pretense about whether or not you can measure up. It's really, really clear that you can't. But instead of this cruel ruler that, that tells you to get out there and try, right? We, we find a God, we find in our God the posture of a loving father, one that says, I know. I know, child. I know. And not one who just fills us with some empty motivation about how true beauty is on the inside and whatever other, you know, kind of Pinterest bubbles and flaky things exist in the world of women's t-shirts, like, uh, no, no, that's not what, what our God is doing. Instead, what we hear, we have a God who, who is above all, right? And yet he looks at us filled with love and compassion, and he says, I know. I know. And as we begin to explain all that's in our hearts and the struggles that we have and the, and the plans, yeah, I, I know, Lord, and I know I failed in this. I know I've got to get better at this. I've got to be a better wife, and I'm not submitting very well. I've not been in your word. And we start to say all these things, and he, and he, and he looks at us, and he, and he lifts our head. He lifts our head and he says, listen, listen, my child, I, I know. And you could stop with the excuses. You can stop with the self-justification and lift your head up. And he says, child, look. Not at everybody else and what they're, I want you to look. And he points our gaze at the beautiful cross of Jesus Christ. And as we can't, can't bear to look up at him because we're still covered in our guilt and our shame and our failure, we begin to justify ourselves again. He, he hushes our lips and gently just says, look, 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 I know, child. I, I, I've seen your tears. I've, I've felt your fears. I've wrestled with you as you've hated and cursed at the mirror. I, I've, I've felt the tension that, you, that rises up in your soul as you scroll through Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and wonder why not you and wonder how could they and all of those things. He says, I know, I know. And look. Look over there. Look at the cross. Guess what? It's finished. It's finished. But even most of us, like even in that good news, we can't quite get out of our shame and our, our hope at achieving. So we start to say, oh, oh I know, Lord, and, and I'm so grateful that you, that you, you know, saved me. And I promise I'm going to start doing better. And I'm going to start doing daily quiet times. And I'm going to start submitting to my husband. I'm going to start, you know, I'm going to stop snapping at my kids and I'm going to delete my Facebook, you know, at least for like a week or so, so I can, you know, read my Bible more. And, and we start to say all these things. And once again, he puts his finger on our, on our, on our chattering lips and he just says, stop, 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 stop. God says, I'm not in love with some future version of you. The one where you've got yourself cleaned up and figured out and slimmed down. No, I'm in love with that version of you. I, 
see you. I know you. I know all your flaws, all your scars, all your pains, all your fears, all the tears you've shed. And the cross stands. And Romans 5, 8 says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not for where the, the version of us, we get ourselves cleaned up. No, no. Right there where you are, in your pain, in your insecurity, in your suffering. Like, no, no. Right there. He says, I know, child. I know. And it is finished. The, the cross stands as validation about your worth, women. Like, that is what says you are valued, you are desirable, you are worth pursuing. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Like, like you want to be pursued? You want a hero to come after you? Like, that's a God-given desire, and it, it has happened, right? His name is Jesus. He gave his life to get you, to purchase you, to ransom you, to win you back from the enemy's hands. And it is that Message that speaks validation over you, no matter what shape you are, what color you are, what age you are, what you've been through, what has been done to you, what you've done to others, none of it matters when you stand and look at the cross of Jesus Christ. And it's, it's not even over there, right? That, that in the cross, yes, Jesus gives us forgiveness and a fresh start, but it's not just this, you know, all right, now, now get out there and try not to, you know, try not to fail. No, it's this, it's this God who adopts you as your daughter and starts to begin to fill in all the gaps that you missed as a woman, all the things that have been distorted in your life. And, and he doesn't just say, okay, now get out there and don't screw it up. No, 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 like a dad who's, who's helping his young daughter ride a bike, right, he, or, or learn to walk or whatever. Like, he says, okay, go try, right? All right, here, you can do it. And then when you fall down, he doesn't get mad at you. He doesn't throw a fit. He doesn't get rid of you. He doesn't say you're not worth it. And he says, he comes over and picks you up and holds you and says, okay, we're going to do this. He heals your wounds and he sends you back. Like God wants to help you get to Proverbs 31 stuff. Because he knows you desire it, right? He knows you want to be a woman that is desirable. He knows you want to be a woman who's productive. He knows you want to be a woman who has your household together. He sees that. He knows that. He knows the tension within you. He's not waiting on you to get it together. He's trying to meet you there and lead you to life. And it's as you feel and embrace the, the good news of the Father, right? When you fear the Lord above fearing man, that you're able to hear his words of validation. And you're able to limp out into the world. And let your insecurities, let your imperfections show. Because the only one whose voice matters has declared you worthy. Has declared you lovely. Has declared you his daughter. You're his, period. Not because of what you can accomplish, not because of what you have accomplished, not because of what you'll be someday. No, just because you are. So careful to try to navigate my little girl's hearts, right? Like, they're beautiful, and I want to tell them that. I want them to feel that, but I want them to know that they're my daughter, and I delight in them just because of they're my daughter, just because they're mine, right? It doesn't matter what you do, what you don't do, how you look when you grow up. No, no, you're mine. I delight in you. And that's just me trying to live out a little morsel of who God is, and he's speaking that over your life. when we know this God and we fear him, not in some way of, you know, oppression rather than, you know, really knowing him as ultimate, that he matters, his opinion, his judgment is ultimate, and he has declared us his own. This is what the woman of Proverbs 31 knows. This is why she's able to live out that life, because she's not asking for validation from the world. She's received it from God, her father. 
And that's not going to be easy. It doesn't fix everything, I know. And that's part of the reason we're talking about inviting you into community because it's not just one sermon. And like, oh, yeah, I'm good. I'll be a great, you know, I'll never struggle with any insecurities the rest of my life. No, I understand it's just one sermon. But we're trying to invite you into is some life-giving community. Right, so I, I got to move quickly, but as we close, I, I think what our response, what I would encourage you, your response is this morning, is to, to look at Jesus more than you look at yourself. Right? Look at Jesus more than you look at yourself. The call of God is, is he's designed you, made you to be a Proverbs 31 woman, but when you look at that, you're going to feel the weight of that and be crushed. So instead of looking at yourself, oh, I got to do this better, I got to figure this out, no, 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 look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Behold him. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says that as we behold him, we're transformed from one degree of glory to another. You worship, that's the invitation. That's the command. You worship Jesus. You worship Jesus, you become more like him. You become more like him, you begin to embody. Like, what do you think the Proverbs 31 woman is doing? She's imaging, become, she's like Jesus, right? Like, that is the image of what the woman was made to be. You behold, you worship Jesus. You look at Jesus more than you look at yourself. You look at Jesus, please look at Jesus more than you look at your Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or other social media stuff. Some of you need to put that away. It's, it's like a source of sin for you. It's debilitating for some of you. I'm not on it. I have a profile, but I'm never on, on Facebook. And that's because of my own sin and the ways that I'm afraid it'll cause me to stumble. So that's a, that's a hand that I had to cut off for my own purity. Right? For different reasons, some of you women need to make the same decision. I'm not saying to be a biblical woman, you, gotta, you can't have Facebook. No, I'm not putting that on you. I'm just saying if it's leading you to constant struggle, sin, and de- like, it's just, if it's sucking the life out of you, put it down. Right? Delete that mess. Their house don't look that pretty all the time. Just show up on a Wednesday morning. I guarantee you it don't look like that. <laughs> put it down. Some of you need to do that. Look at Jesus. More than you look at yourself, more than you look at other people on Facebook and whatever. And then secondly, we need to know, value, and celebrate true biblical femininity. Like biblical womanhood, we need to know, validate more than just how a woman looks. We need to celebrate, exalt, and teach our daughters and our sons to do the same thing. And then lastly, you need to be in community, right? Like this, as I said, it's not just going to be one sermon. Oh, we're good to go. You need to be around women that can cultivate this and call this out of you. So as we close, here's what I want to ask you to do. We're going we're gonna to pray. We're going we're to have a, a, a time of uh, response here in a moment as we have one more song. And um, my hope is that we'll use this time in our service and this space up here to once again receive the goodness of God at the hands of other people praying for us and at the hand, like just in confessing and just being with each other. And so women, here's what I would like, here's what I want you to do. Here's what I'm asking you to do. Would you just bring your heavy hearts to God this morning? That's it. Not your commitments, not what you're going to do better. Would you just bring yourself, your weight, and what you're carrying, and just bring it to God? Would you just let him take it from you? Would you let the love and the grace of Jesus just wash over your tired and self-protected and wounded and wonderful heart? Would you just let Jesus love on you this morning? Don't come and focus on what you're going to do or, you know, coming out of this. Rather, no, just come and sit with your Father and let him speak truth over you and just embrace it.
So I'm going to ask women to come up here and just pray with women. And, and you're like, oh, I need to be prayed with. I know, pray for, pray for each other. And then say, hey, you got to pray for me. And let's, let's, just, let's just be once again. Let's just, let's just be under the grace of God as we sing this final song. And let, let God have our burdens. He says, come to me who are weary and heavy laden. So as the band comes up here, I want to invite you to just be ready to, to respond and let the, the beauty and the grace of Jesus speak that over your life this morning. Just bring it. Don't come with what you're going to do and what you need to do. Just let yourself hear the validation of your Father. Let yourself behold the cross as the final and only statement that matters about your worth. And men, I trust that God has, uh, God's Spirit hasn't left you alone this morning. So I encourage you to repent where needed and actually ask for forgiveness from those around you, from your wives, daughters, sisters, from where you failed to cultivate this flourishing in others' lives or where you've added to the pressure and the oppression and the expectations, whether that be through your indulgence and porn, our jokes or whatever it may be, you need to repent. We need to repent of the way that we have contributed to this pain and weight that our women feel. So men, you be men and take responsibility and ask God to forgive you and help you treasure his daughters the way that he does. So this, this altar's call is not just for women, right? Like, men, you can come and repent and pray and pray over the women in your life that they would be able to feel and soak in the goodness of God. And women, would you just, just come and be? You don't, you don't gotta have your solutions together. You don't have, just come and fall at the feet of Jesus. And trust that you'll pray with one another and that you'll find life. So I wanna pray and we're gonna sing and I want you to do that here in this space. God, May your words speak way louder than my voice and would you just fall in this place and bring life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.